Eight. Good job. I always have to pick on him because he always invites the most people to church. So I'm, I'm up to two. So I'm catching up. I'm catching up. So we got these little, um, these little I think I'm ringing a little bit here if, if someone wants to turn me down. Uh, these little invite cards. And uh, it's real super simple. I was at, uh, oh, I think I was at the Market Grill uh, on Friday. And our waitress, I just, I just said, hey, you going to church anywhere on Easter? And, and she said she wasn't. And I said, just be my guest. You can be my, my guest at a church. And I gave her this. And there's an address and map on the back. Super simple. Right? You think we can all do it? All right. Sounds good. All right. Hey, um, a couple of things as we're getting ready to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. Um, you guys know that we've been uh, in, in the midst of a special project, and uh, you guys are just knocking it out of the park. I think we're uh, 11,600 so far out of 15,000 has come in. Yeah, good job. Good job. And uh, it's, a, it's, a little, it's a little awkward for me to, to make this request to you, but I, I'm, we had an elder meeting um, this last Thursday morning. You guys should have been there 6 a.m., right? All of you guys are there. Uh, so we were there, we had this meeting, and this is the topic that came up. There's actually a few people that, that, can't, that come up to our elders, come up to me, and they say, you know what, Pastor, the, the um, volume in the worship service actually hurts our ears. And, uh, and we'd really, if there's any way we can do something about it. And, you know, it's one thing if it's like a style issue, you know what I'm talking about? You know, I like this song better than that song or, or you know, flavor. But it's another thing when, it's, uh, when it actually is painful. And there's actually people that have had to walk out the doors and, and be in the, um, you know, in the entryway or, or whatever because the, because the worship has been so loud. And so what we did, it, I mean, sometimes it's like, you know, the volume and you just pull, pull the volume down. But sometimes uh, it's, it's actually out of our control. We had two um, professional sound companies come out to this building um, recently. And what we did is we just said, hey, would you tell us everything you know? Is there anything that we could do to, so that it's just not so painful for people? And both companies said that um, there's actually a, a few phases that we could do. But the very first phase, the most important thing, is they, they want us to put some, some sound dampening panels on our walls. And, and that it would actually uh, relieve much of the pain in people's ears. And so we just thought, you know what, um, no matter what comes in, no matter what people are able to give into that, um, we're just going to figure out a way to do it. Whether we have to dip into savings, we have to do whatever. But we wanted, they thought, you know, maybe there might be a few of you that would want to help us with that. So as we just get ready for tithes and offerings, I know we've got the special project. I know you've got your normal tithes and everyone's given to everything. But if, if that's something you want to give to, would you just mark, uh, um, I don't know, sound panels or something on your check, and we'll just know what that's for. So um, let's pray. Thanks for letting me ask again for money. Jesus, we, uh, we just love you, and I ask that you would bless both the gift and the giver. And uh, Lord, you do, and you bless this church uh, so much. And Lord, we ask that um, even in this season as we're getting ready for Easter, God, that you would just put somebody on our heart that needs to know you. And, and, Lord, that they would uh, come next week and, and hear the gospel and, and really give their heart to you, Jesus. Um, bless both the gift and the giver this morning. And it's because of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, guys. Just turn to somebody right next to you, right behind you, and tell them how, how good they look and what flavor chicken you like. Preferably cooked, right?
Hey, Christy just, uh, this is Christy Pelton over here, and she just came up to me and said, you know, the Lord was reminding her, wanted to remind us that as we give our first fruits financially, that the Lord actually, the Bible says he rebukes the devourer. And I mean, if, if there's been any time where you felt like there's like uh, you've been in financial struggle and there's been um, lack and all of this, one of the promises of the word is that as you give, actually the devourer is rebuked and there's abundance and all that. And so thanks for reminding us of that, Christy, this morning. And before uh, we're nice, they were like cheering for the last message in the book of Daniel. <laughs> and, and right before I preach, um, I did want to say, uh, um, saw Gay Tillotson over here, their collage banquet's coming up. That's April 19, 18, April 18 for the Carney uh, banquet. And uh, so a lot of work's going into that. And, uh, and I told her I'd make a, a quick announcement. If any of you'd like to come, it's a, it's a free banquet. It's a fundraising banquet. So, so you come and you have an incredible meal and a, a great speaker this year and all kinds of stuff. And then if the Lord um, puts it on your heart, then, then hopefully you can give into the, the collage ministry. And we'd love for you to do that. Um, my wife and I have room at our table. If you'd like to come and sit with us, there's some other tables, but would you let me know or let Gay Tillotson know if you want to be part of that banquet and a great date night, come out to the collage banquet on the 18th. What's that? Find, and, and extra bonus points if you find Gay Tillotson a date. for. That's what she said, all right. <laughs> I don't know if I was allowed to say that or not. Well, uh, that's good, that's good. I don't know where, I don't know how to recover from that. Book of Daniel. We're going um, to finish up with chapter 11 and chapter 12 today, and, uh, and then next week we're going to start a new series on Easter called Jesus Is, and it'll be, uh, the first one is Jesus Is Our Substitute. And so a book of Daniel, this is a, um, it's the dramatic conclusion to this whole thing, and, and uh, what we find here in chapter 11, I, I was, I've spent some time in here, and it's a little confusing unless you understand history, if you're, if you know the, the history back then and all that. Chapter 11 is actually an incredible chapter and chapter 12 as well. Chapter 12 is more future events and chapter 11 is a little bit more historical events. But um, this is what I found. Here's a, here's a thought um, in my notes. It says this, chapter 11 contains one of the most specifically fulfilled prophecies of the Bible predicting a history over some 375 years into the end of time. And it's actually with amazing accuracy. A lot of people will look at chapter 11. Um, a lot of people who doubt prophetic uh, words and prophetic prophecy, some theologians like that, they'll look at chapter 11 and they'll say, there's no way that Daniel could have known all of that. They'll, they'll say that. And so they'll, they'll try to discredit this by saying, this must have been written after Daniel sometime. And then they put Daniel's name on it. Because how could anybody have that much accuracy in a prophetic word and vision from the Lord? Isn't that interesting? So obviously in this church, we believe that God speaks and we trust the inerrant word of God. Daniel, the, the prophet, received vision from the Lord in chapter 11. I mean, it's incredible. This is what happens. There is, in chapter 11, as you read, you'll read about the, a, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom and all this. There was the rise of kings and the fall of kings. And over the course of this 375 years, you see one empire taking over, another empire, empire taking over. And, uh, and as you get, most of this chapter is about two kingdoms. Do you guys remember a few weeks ago, we, uh, we were talking about some end time events and some of Daniel's prophecies, and I mentioned uh, that Daniel was prophesying about Alexander the Great. And he was talking about Alexander the Great, who was a leader in the, in the Greek Empire. And from Alexander the Great, he, had a, he, had, he, he took over in such dramatic fashion over a course of about 12 years. And, and, and with that, Alexander died at such a young age, and he had four generals, and these four generals divided up Alexander's kingdom into four. And it wasn't like an amicable division. It was like, you know, fighting, squabbling, and all this, and they divided the kingdom into four. Well, this chapter talks a lot about two of those kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom, and there was a southern kingdom. And uh, the southern kingdom was uh, taken over by one of the generals, and his name was, was Ptolemy. And he was over in, uh, in the Egypt area. 
And then the northern kingdom, is this interesting to anybody? I mean, I mean it's, it's just good. Daniel's talking about this. You're like, oh my goodness, he's talking about things happening way after his time frame. The northern kingdom was a guy uh, named, uh, I've got to pronounce it right, Seleucus. And, uh, and so the northern kingdom was this guy, uh, southern kingdom was that guy, and what stood right in between? This is the reason why this chapter was so important. What was in between the two kingdoms? Does anyone know? Well, Israel. Israel was, was between the two kingdoms. And what you found was the, Daniel in this prophecy in chapter 11, he's talking about this northern kingdom, who, which would be called the Seleucid kingdom, and the, and the southern kingdom, which was the, the Ptolemies, and they would fight back and forth for probably a period of about 130 years that they would just fight. And one kingdom would rise up and be a little bit stronger. And what were they, what were they fighting over? Well, who could control Israel and Jerusalem? And so one would take over and they would have Jerusalem and Israel. And the other one would then rise up and take over and they would have Jerusalem and Israel. And you see this whole thing going in chapter 11 till finally... One of, the, one of the guys rises up in the, in the northern kingdom, and actually there was a brother, his name was, was Seleucid III, and, and he had a little bit of power for just a short period of time, and his brother, um, uh, Antiochus, and Tic, I'm sorry, yeah, Antiochus the, the IV um, was his brother, and, the, and history says that he probably actually assassinated his brother um, Seleucid. Isn't that crazy? So he takes over, and I don't know if any of you guys remember who this Antiochus is, but he goes into Jerusalem, and in power, he takes over, he goes into the temple, and he sets up a, an idol to Zeus and sacrifices a pig on the altar, causing what, what they call the abomination that, the, that makes desolate. In, in other words, it was such an abomination um, because, a, because a pig would, would not have been a proper sacrifice. And then putting, setting up the idol of Zeus in the temple. I mean, it was such an incredible um, uh, thing against God and against the Jews. It actually made desolate because um, nobody could come and worship now. And so, obviously, desolate would mean empty, and, and there, was no, there was no worship. It was an incredible thing. What well, was also a foreshadow, who does he foreshadow in the end times? The Antichrist. And so it was a foreshadow of that. Daniel 11 was all about that, and then, and then you get down to um, verse 36 in chapter 11. And in verse 36 to the end of that chapter, it's, it is specifically Daniel talking about the end time events and the Antichrist. And a few weeks ago, we talked a little bit about end times. We talked a little bit about, um, about the Antichrist rising up and some of those pressures. Um, and this is exactly what's going on here. And then we go to chapter 12. Well, like, actually, let me, re- let me read um, this verse uh, in chapter 11, verse 21. It says this, In his place shall arise a contemptible person, uh, to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even before the prince of the covenant. And that was talking about Antiochus. Um, and, then, uh, and then we go to Daniel 12, verse 1. And it says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your, uh, but at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And you find that chapter 12 is talking about the end time. This is such an encouraging thing. It's a, it's a, a hard thing. He's saying this, you will have never seen a time like this before. Like, as much as Israel has gone through um, tribulation in the past, as you guys remember some different things, and Jesus will talk about this in a little bit when I, when I reference Matthew 24. But there's so much Israel has gone through and will go through, but this time uh, in history will be unlike any other. The world, uh, it, there's so many pressures. I mean, I'm reading in the news, which is interesting to me. I, I was reading in the news this week and watching some things, and I'm studying these chapters, and I'm like, Oh my goodness, what's happening right now? Like, like Antiochus was in Syria. He was, that was where he occupied. That was where the whole Seleucid Empire was Syria and more and all this. But, and we just bombed them. And I'm thinking, 
we're, we're studying about this right now, that part of the country, and, and Iraq, and Iraq is where this whole Babylon thing, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be like a, you know, try to scare you and say the world's coming to end and, and going to hell in a handbasket or anything like that, but it's really interesting. You pay attention to the news and world events, and you're just like, you know what? Huh, we could be living in the last days. And if it's not our generation, maybe it's my, my kids or my grandkids. But it seems like things are, are coming together. Like there's, 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 a, there's a few things that have to take place before the end of, of things and before Jesus comes back and, and rules and reigns and all of that stuff. But man, you know, that part of the world that is being referenced here in Daniel, there's a lot of craziness going on. All right. And if, you, if that's all brand new, man, go, go get on the internet or, or go switch on the news because there's a lot happening over there um, in Syria and, and all of those things. You got, any of you have heard about that and the, um, the, the gas and the chemical warfare? Oh, my goodness. Crazy. Crazy. And so, and, so, uh, and so chapter 12 then, um, it references Michael. If you remember last week, um, Pastor Bo preached and did an incredible job on chapter 10 and talked about spiritual warfare. And he, he referenced Michael the archangel um, who came and actually um, uh, kind of kicked butt with this, um, with this prince of Persia who, who was uh, kind of the dominion over that area. And, and so, so Michael the archangel had to come and actually help this other angel out who was a messenger angel to come and bring Daniel um, some, some news. Well, in chapter 11, it references Michael again. And anytime you see Michael, you have to understand this. One, Michael is, is this angel that is all about spiritual warfare. So he's always connected with spiritual warfare. And who or what region would you say that Michael is assigned to? Does anybody know? Israel. Michael is the angel that is over the affairs of Israel. He's the, the protector, the general over Israel. And so it's kind of a cool thing when you, when you see Michael and some of his assignments. Um, and so he's, that's where he's associated with. He talks about this time of trouble, and it refers to the Great Tribulation, um, chapter 12 does. Um, and it'll be an incredible time of persecution for Israel specifically, but for all of us across the world. Incredible, and, and such as the, the world has never, has never seen. Um, but, in this verse, there's hope. And it says, but, at that time, your people will be delivered. How many know that that's good? Anybody need delivered of something? I mean, hopefully we're not talking about like demons or anything, but even just like in life, you're just like, you know, and here's the promise. Like Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, but, what? Take heart. I've overcome the world. And here he says, man, you're going to have incredible persecution, but you'll be delivered. And, and that's where um, I want to hang out today. I want to come back and I want to zero in on a couple of verses in Daniel 11, actually two verses in Daniel 11, and we'll expand on there. Um, because I think that there's hope for us as we look at some of this um, end time prophecy and, and historical events. Daniel 11, starting in verse 30, 31. It says this, it says, forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and uh, the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. And we just talked about that. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. And what you have to understand is that, um, that there will be Jews and this is a historical event that happened, but this is also uh, predicted in the future, too. It's, it's both, to, uh, uh, both uh, past and, and future. And uh, so there will, be, there will be Jews that decide to, to forsake their first love, and then there will be Jews that, that hold true, um, literally here in Israel. And here's the, here's the, the part. Uh, he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but... The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Man, isn't that, I mean, like, yeah, that's us, right? That's them, that's, that's Israel, that's, that's believers. But people who know their God will stand firm and take action. And as I was meditating on this, I was, just, I was just thinking about, you know what, what could we as a church body just gain from 
from studying this and meditating on this, and this is what I thought, like, how do we stand firm? How do we, I mean, some, I, I mean there's stories all across this room that, that I know about, and, and some of you are barely here in church today. Like, like, you could have easily stayed home because life is just so hard right now, and we're not even talking about end-time events. And whether it be things in your family, whether it be work, whether it be pressures in this world, whatever. And so we, we come up and we exhort you, stand firm. And you're like, easier said than done, Pastor Jonathan. And I just thought, man, I want to be in that group. Don't you? Where the, the Bible says they stood firm. I want to be in that group. And they took action. And how do we assure ourselves that, that when trouble happens, and I don't know what your eschatology is, meaning your, your end time, your, your opinion about end time events, and it really is an opinion, because how many of us know that we, we, really, we really don't know? It'll happen someday. Uh, Jesus will come back, and we'll all figure out um, who was right and who was wrong. But we do know Jesus is coming back. And we know there's going to be intense trouble. And, and I don't know if, you, if you're one of those that believes that, that we'll get out of here before the, the big drama happens. Or if you're one of those that says we're going to go all the way through it and, and it'll be the greatest time the church has ever seen as far as revival and all that. I don't know where you stand on that. Um, but I do know that even without that, that there's going to be increased pressure. And the Bible calls it birth pains. And Jesus even talked about this in Matthew 24, that things are, that we're going to experience pressure. There's going to be spiritual warfare. There's going to be um, catastrophic events, all this. And in the midst of all of that, I mean, you think that what we're going through right now, I mean, we're going through nothing compared to what's happening in Syria right now. We're going through, not, through nothing that compared to what's happening in Afghanistan or, or Iraq or all of these places. There's people, places around the world that says that they would probably sit there and say, this is the tribulation. <laughs> Like, like, what are you guys talking about? And, and so when hard times happen, because some of us, uh, we may not even make it to that, to that end, but when hard times happen, how do we respond? How do I make it? It's easy to stand up and say, I love Jesus in here, right? It's easy to stand up and be like, man, like this, like to Jesus till the end and raise your hand and we're warriors in here. And then we walk out that door and life happens. And how do, you, how do you stand? I was thinking about this, and I, obviously Ephesians chapter 6 came to my mind and because Paul exhorts the church of Ephesus, and he says, after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. And I want to exhort us to stand, but I also want to look at, like, why, why wouldn't we stand? Why would, why would there be someone that wouldn't stand? And, and in Matthew 24, Jesus describes some, some conditions in the end times and, and uh, his, his best friends, his disciples come to him and they say, Jesus, uh, like, how will we know when the end of the world is coming? How will we know when it's going to be the end times? And most of chapter 24 in Matthew, Jesus is talking about this and he's sharing some signs. He starts talking about that. He says, he says there's going to be deception. There's going, to be, there's going to be actually people, he calls them false Christs, false messiahs. And they're going to rise up. And it, the funny thing is, and we think it's funny and we think it's ironic, like no way. But there's actually going to be people that will turn and follow and submit allegiance to these false Christs, these false Jesus that are going to rise up. And Jesus is warning them. He wouldn't warn them if it wasn't going to happen. He says, in the end time, one of the things you have to understand, one of the things, he's talking to Peter, and he's talking to, to James, and he's sitting there, and he's like, you got to understand this. One thing to just guard against, there's going to be deception. There's going to be, there, there's, there's truth, and there's going to be, a, the enemy's going to come in and try to twist truth, and try to make you, make you, oh, no, wait a minute, no, this is truth. And I mean, I mean it's crazy. People are going to call what's right wrong, what's wrong right, and there's going to be this whole thing, and, and there's going to be uh, preachers, there's going to be false preachers that are going to rise up, and they're going to say things, and people are going to be like, oh, that sounds really good. And, and people aren't going to be reading their own Bibles, and, and, and the deception is going to go, I mean, it's really going to happen. Well, how do you guard against that? We're like, read your Bible. Like, be in a good church and, and question things. Don't just take the preacher's word for it, right? And, and have your relationship with God and, and just, like, I mean, if, you, if you're deceived, I, I would imagine it's because you don't know truth. 
And so Jesus, one of the first things that he's like, man, one thing that will cause you not to stand in the last days, one thing that will totally derail this whole thing is if you give in to deception. The other thing he says is there's going to be persecution. There's going to be, uh, you know, you read in the book of Revelation and there's going to be all kinds of pressures that come from God as judgment on the earth and things. But there's going to be persecution from the devil. There's going to be, there's going to be persecution from, from people who were your friends that called themselves Christians. There's going to be persecution from, uh, you know, you read about all kinds of things as far as, uh, um, you know, the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast and all those types of things. If we're talking down, down that road. But what about even today? Uh, is anybody, I mean, raise your hand, has anybody um, been persecuted for your faith? And when you talk about being persecuted, like, like were you like arrested or were you beaten and flogged? Anybody be, been beheaded recently? Right, and, and I'm not, not making light, but I'm just saying, like the persecution we understand, and it, I'm not, and it really is persecution, right? But the persecution we understand is nothing. And Jesus says, Jesus says, okay, you want to know what's really going to happen in the last days? He's like, and, and something that could derail somebody from walking and, and, and following me with all their heart? He's like this, it's persecution. It's deception. And it's perse- people are going to be persecuted for what they believe, and Christians are going to be like, wait a minute, I thought you were a good God. I thought, you, I thought you loved us. I thought that you, you know, I thought you were for us and, and now we're being persecuted, we're being arrested and, and it's going to cause people to want to turn away from the Lord. You know what, uh, another thing that Jesus said in Matthew 24 that would, that would totally derail people, this is interesting, he said lawlessness, lawlessness would be something that would derail people from following him. In fact, he says it like this in Matthew 24, verse 12. He says, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. In some translations, it says the love of most. Can we just let that sink in for just a second? The love. That means that they once did. That means that they once had passion and fire for the king of all kings and the lord of all lords. And it says the love of many, some places say the love of most will go cold because of lawlessness. Verse 13 is encouraging. It says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Isn't that incredible? I, mean, I think about this. And lawlessness, and it, um, it, I looked it up, and it really has to do with, it's synonymous with anarchy, it's chaos, it's conflict, it's contention, it's difference, discord, dissension, strife, it's sin, it's lawlessness. It's, it's all of those things. And this is going to increase more and more. How many know, we, we may not be living in that day yet, but how many know that we're more and more living in that day? And as lawlessness increases, Jesus is telling his disciples, so you got to know this. One of the signs of the end times, one of the signs of that time is lawlessness is going to increase. And as lawlessness increases, those who genuinely love, love me, love Jesus, those who genuinely love him, the love of many of those is going to grow cold. I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to be in that number. I don't want our church, as, as far as it depends on me and those that, that get to hear me and hear our pastors and those that, that share this pulpit week after week, like, like, I wouldn't want any of us to be in that number. What could I do? Because I love you so much to keep us from that, so that our love would only increase in times of pressure instead of decrease. How many want that? That our love would increase in times of pressure. When, when the, the bank account shows negative, when the, when the, the, the child is, is run afar off, when, when marriage pressures increase, when, when the things in the world cause fear, and, and when things are going on at work, that instead of retreating and instead of fear gripping, that our love only increases. Man, I, want, I love the messages we get to preach where it's just like Holy Spirit goosebumps and, and people are, you know, getting knocked by the Holy Spirit and, and everyone's like, give me more of the grace and the love. And the, I mean, I, I am all about that. If you guys know, I mean, Keith and I will go back and forth and he'll come up and preach hellfire and brimstone and I'll come over and just love you. Because, because I, I, I tend to, my personality, I tend to lean towards the the, the more flowery love chapters, but I can't ignore the fact that there's going to be pressure 
And my prayer is, is that my love would increase in times of pressure. My prayer is that your love would increase in times of pressure. And Jesus was sharing this with his best friends and he was telling them all kinds of signs of the, of the end. And he said, he actually echoed Daniel. And Daniel said that there was going to be an abomination that makes desolate. And he says, there's actually going to be another one just like that one. He says, the, the abomination that makes desolate, like what Daniel referenced. And you know what Daniel said? Daniel said, it's going to be like, like, like a time that you've never seen. The pressure is going to increase like you've never seen before. And you know what Jesus says in Matthew 24? He says, it's going to be a time like you've never seen. It's going to be pressure like you've never understood before. This is going to be the greatest. I mean, it's, it's incredible. you got to be what? He, he echoed Daniel. Hundreds of years before, Jesus echoed Daniel. And I love that phrase again, Daniel 11, verse 32. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. I want to turn our eyes for a few minutes to the New Testament in Ephesians 6. I feel like this gives us principles to stand in times of pressure. Some of you guys have known this passage and memorized it in different translations. And I think I'm reading out of maybe New King James or something here. I don't have it written down. It's on the screen. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. This was Paul's encouragement. How many know Paul went through times of pressure? He says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. Praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Isn't that just a, just a powerful place that we stand on as believers? And as I was reading that, I was remembering that I used to have a sword and somebody stole it. I was praying for that person right now. Here's two principles that I find in, in Ephesians 6 and, and really here as we're wanting to learn, how do we stand? How do we do what Daniel said, what Daniel was prophesying, that there's going to be people that stand and fight in the end? How do we do what, what Jesus is saying? If those that, that hold true will be saved in the end, how do we do what Paul says here to stand? And in the first place, there's two points here today. Everyone say amen. Two points. Right relationship. The starting point is right relationship. I, I don't know how anyone's going to be able to stand if they're just faking it till they make it. If, if you don't have a genuine relationship with the Lord, and it's not this do's and don'ts and these rules. It's not the, it's not the you know, I, I just, I said a prayer one day, you know, and, I, and I'm, it's, like, it's like you love Jesus. And you're in relationship with him. And you're like, how do I know if I have right relationship with God? Like, how do you know if you have right relationship with anybody? Right? How do you know if, if your marriage is good? How do you know if your relationship with you and your kids are good? How do you know if your relationship with your friend at work is good? Like, there's indicators. Like, like there, I mean, I, I'm not trying to make this to super simple, but like, how much time I spend with my wife is often an indicator of how our relationship is going in that season. And my wife says, amen, right? The time, and, and the quality time. And, and, you know, someone's like, man, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I'm so busy. And I'm like, just start someplace. Take like three minutes and make those three minutes count. 
Because those that have a genuine heart connection with Jesus are going to, the Bible says they're going to make it. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It, it actually means to strengthen yourself in the Lord. There's a, there's a place, there's a responsibility in our part. God strengthens us, but you actually have um, responsibility to strengthen yourself in the Lord. To turn your, your attention to him, to gain strength from him. It's like his strength is right there. He's got, a, he's got a, a vast reservoir of strength and might that you get to tap into when you choose to. There's a story in 1 Samuel 30 and uh, David, uh, he wasn't king yet. He had, if you guys remember um, in, in history, he had mighty men. There was 30 mighty men. And these mighty men, they were like the ragamuffin band. I mean, th- these, these guys, he just pulled off the street. He, he just took the, the least of the least, kind of like somebody I remember in the New Testament. Who was that? Uh, the, oh, Jesus. And, and, and so he, he, he gathered this band of brothers, and for a decade, he poured his life into these guys. And he taught them how to fight, and he taught them life skills, and, and they became, I mean, they were just super loyal to him, and they followed him wherever they went. I mean, in fact, I think it's like four of them were called uh, giant killers, right? You want to learn how to kill giants, you hang out with a giant killer. And, and, and so the, you had these 30 men. And at this time in, in the story, uh, David had, he was actually um, working for, partnering with um, the Philistines. And, and he was fighting for them. In fact, he would be fighting Israel's enemies, but he would make the Philistines think that, um, that he was uh, fighting for them. And so he was doing this thing, and, and, and David was, was, uh, he was, he was just incredible, a military man who had a lot of wisdom and walked. Well, there was coming this time where the Philistines were going to go against Israel. And David was like their, like their hot, hot all-star like, commander, but they were worried that David would turn on them. And so they sent David and his mighty men away, and they, they actually turned away embarrassed and went back to, this, to their base camp, and their base camp was uh, a place called Ziklag. And so they go to Ziklag, and as they're coming back to their base camp, they see smoke rising in the distance and their hearts start to sink and that fear and that anxiety of what could happen because all their families, their, their wives and their children and, and all, everything that they had was at Ziklag. And so they come and, and they start walking through the camp and everything's burning down to the ground and, and in ash and they realize everybody's gone. There's nobody there. All of their wives and all their children have been taken. Can you imagine for a moment the emotion that they're all feeling. And so 1 Samuel verse 30, starting in verse 6, it says this, it says, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Can you imagine? The people, he's talking about these 30 guys that he had poured his life into. They actually were so distressed that they're like, they gotta find, anybody like have to find somebody to blame? <laughs> it's got to be somebody's fault. David, and they spoke of stoning him. And he's at the, the end of his rope. They spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I mean, this is the place we have to get. When everything's closing in and, and, and the pressure and the weight of the world is on your shoulders and you don't see a way out and, and this is the end of our ropes and the worst imaginable happens or the, whatever you're thinking, the pressures. David could have responded in all kinds of ways. And the Bible says when everything was on the line, he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I wonder if when he was maybe kneeling before the Lord and strengthening himself. I wonder if some of these psalms that he wrote, like Psalm 43, 5, I wonder if David was saying this, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Do you think David was on his knees and he was telling himself, self, hope in God right now? I wonder if he was 
reciting Psalm 103, maybe this is before it was ever even penned, and maybe somewhere in his heart he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Man, it sounds good when we're singing it up on the words in the screen, and we, when we get encouraged and, and, and all of those things, but when the world is crashing in on us and there's the pressure and you find yourself in that moment, can we say, soul, it's time to worship. It's time to bless the Lord. It's time to put your hope in God. Now, I don't know exactly all of the, all of the ways, but there, we've got to dig deep. I, I would imagine that as we strengthen ourselves in the Lord, as we focus on right relationship, that part of it is meditating on His goodness. We focus on what He's done instead of what He hasn't done. We focus on His mighty works, His testimonies. How many love just hearing the testimonies? I mean, we'll go through the hard time and we forget all that He's done. We go through the hard time right now and we forget, oh yeah, He healed, he healed of cancer here or, or He came through financially there or, or He had a supernatural miracle or the check showed up in the mail or, or the, the cupboards were full of food and, and, and then we're going through the hard time and it's easy to forget and I think maybe there's times where we just meditate on His goodness, we focus on what He has done instead of what He's seemingly not doing. We declare his praises. I, th I think like one thing I like to do is opening up the Psalms and reading them out loud. And for those of you that are just like, you know, you're more of a quiet personality or whatever, just make sure nobody's there and just do it anyways. You know, just open it up and read out loud. Let like your voice be heard in the heavenlies and declare his praises. Tell him how good he is. It's not like that he needs to know how good because he's, he's, he knows he's that good. But as I tell him how good he is, it like reminds me how good he is. I remember his promises. Some of those things maybe you've written down in your journal or you wrote in the margin of your Bible or you recorded when somebody prophesied over you or there was that moment and you know God promised this and we remember his promises because he keeps his promises. We surround ourselves with People that love Jesus and are positive influences that aren't the negative Debbie Downers. And sorry, Debbie. Didn't mean to. Is there a Debbie in here? Put ourselves in environments like church, like this, and create environments in our home with worship and prayer and in our workplace and your cubicle. And, and you create environments that that encourage, that are conducive for the presence of God to, to be where the Bible says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to him and are safe. I love what Bill Johnson, a pastor in Redding, California, in his book, Strengthen Yourself in the Lord, he has two quotes here that just always encourage me. One is, is this, he says, learning to strengthen ourselves does not imply that we are the source of our strength. Rather, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4, 13. He goes on and he says this. He says, what is it about David that ultimately qualifies him to become king? What brings out the moment in which God says, okay, now you're ready? I would like to suggest that it was David's ability to do something in the face of the deepest betrayal and rejection imaginable. When he stood completely alone, that is when David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I propose this, that David's relationship with God didn't start there. I propose that this wasn't the first time he strengthened himself in the Lord. That he drew from a deep place of relationship with God. Listen, your relationship with God doesn't start here, it gets revealed here. When the pressure's on, this is where your relationship with the Lord is revealed. And you get to See what is. And I encourage us in this moment, today, let's get things right. Let's go after him with all of our heart. Let's be people that are hard after God like, Jesus, like David was. In Ephesians 6, it talks about the power of his might. Might is the reserve of strength. Power is the exercise of might. A man named David Guzik says this. He says, God has vast reservoirs 
of might that can be realized as power in our Christian life. But his might does not work in me as I sit passively. His might works in me as I rely on it and step out to do the work. I can rely on it and do no work. I can do work without relying on it. But both of these fall short. I must rely on his might and then do the work. David Guzik. The second thing this morning is I'm looking like, how do I stand in the midst of pressure? And, and like I said, you know, we, some of us in this room, maybe we don't even experience the pressure of the end time drama. Maybe, maybe all that. But you will. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. There will be something that we, that we have to come against and decide, am I going to stand? And the other thing that, that I find that makes us stand is having the right armor. We put on the right armor. The Ephesians 6 is the classic chapter about the armor of God. And it starts in verse 11. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And he emphasizes this multiple times, but he says the whole armor or, or the full armor, that, that it's, it's the whole thing in order to be able to stand. And God will never send you into battle without making available to you the whole armor of God. I, in some, and I know this is sometimes ambiguous, and you just and you think, well, how do I put that on, and and, and what's that really mean, and, and you know, and uh, I think in some ways the armor is on us, and we we have an awareness of it. We come into an agreement and an awareness of it, and I think in some ways it, um, we actually intentionally put it on. And I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But we look at this, and if it's not on, it should be. And we, we realize this, is that the armor of God, it's from him, but it's also his armor. If you read in Isaiah 59, verse 17, in the Old Testament, and I, and I believe Paul was probably referencing back to this verse, he says this, For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, talking about God, and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. And so why do we put on the full armor? We put it on so that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. I think in many ways this verse 11 is a defensive verse. It's the, it's the standing. It's the standing against. It's the holding our ground. And he goes on in verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. I wonder if he's thinking about Daniel. I wonder if he's thinking about the the end times and the pressures of this world, put on the full armor so that you could stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. God has given us a call and a mission, each of us, a course to fulfill and Satan knows that and Satan wants to come against Everything that we do, and he wants to do his best to stop it. And when he attacks, we stand. We do the Lord's work, and we stand against spiritual opposition. And this command, it gives the idea that we're actually going to be attacked. That it's actually going to happen. That we're not meant to be frightened. We're ready, and we're alert. And he goes on in Ephesians 6, and he says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Truth. Paul talks about it here. He says, truth, that you put truth around your waist. Truth is actually what holds your, your armor on, and Jesus is the truth. The Bible says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the word become flesh we talked about a couple weeks ago. More than just reading the word, and although it, it is reading, but I believe it's this, this truth. It's memorizing the truth. It's declaring the truth. It's praying the truth. It's agreement in both word and action. He talks about righteousness, and righteousness is similar to truth, but it's deeper in meaning. It's, it's I already am righteous. I, I come into agreement with this idea that I'm righteous before God. It's our legal standing. Righteousness was a legal term, and I am right standing before God as a believer. Then there's the preparation of the gospel of peace. And I would say, and this is the one thing that, that I have to intentionally put on, just as a, just as a person, something that, that I've 
time after time have to fight against is anxiety and fear and the things that, that come up. I don't know if any of you ever fight against anxiety and fear. Maybe you lay your head at night and your heart starts to race or the things of the day or maybe there's uh, whatever it may be and there's, and there's fear that, that you have to just punch in the face. <laughs> and it's been something that, man, I have had victory after victory and I've had defeat after defeat. And it's one of those things that, the, you know what the Bible says? He says, the gospel of peace that we put on our feet. And it's interesting that we put it on our feet because in peace, he wants us to walk into battle. That there's actually things that can cause fear. There's actually things that can make your blood pressure go up and make your heart beat and your hands sweat. And the gospel of peace, the gospel, the good news, the good news actually brings peace. In other words, we stand firm because of the peace that transcends all understanding that Philippians talks about. And above all, he goes on and he says, taking the shield of faith with which you're able to extinguish all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And this is the part of the armor that you take. This is the part of the armor that, that you actually... I have to take the helmet. I need to take the sword. I need to take the shield. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. My, my faith comes by hearing, but my hearing, I learn how to hear by spending time in the word of God. The more I am in the word of God, the more I learn how to hear and actually faith increases. Salvation, it's an interesting thing that it would be the helmet of salvation. And uh, I know this in here, that there are many of us who are saved and going to heaven. But, I don't know, weeks ago, I preached a message on salvation. And, and I shared about this, that there was, that you were saved, you are being saved, and someday you'll be saved. And there's three aspects of salvation. There's an aspect that, that if you've asked Jesus into your heart, you're saved and you're going to heaven. But there's a huge aspect, most of your life, actually, that you are being saved, that he was your one-time redeemer, but he's also your everyday salvation. That I am working out my salvation. I am being more and more like him. I am being sanctified day in and day out. And it's this, I believe, that you put on that helmet of salvation. That it's really like when, when the, the word says, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart and you'll be saved. I, I believe it's like that, that I am daily submitting to his lordship. That daily I'm saying, not my will, your will be done. Daily I'm saying, not my kingdom, your kingdom. Not, I, I'm not Lord, you're Lord. And as I do that, I'm putting on this helmet where salvation actually guards my head and my mind. And lastly, there was this sword that he talks about, which is the word of God. There's the reading, the memorizing, the meditating that we talked about, listening to it. Maybe you're not a reader, you just like to listen. But it becomes a sword when you actually declare and pray and stand on it. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. In other words, it can't happen without prayer. And, and I kind of look at this in a little bit more um, Pentecostal charismatic way, the prayer and the Spirit. I, I, I don't know. Some of you in this room, maybe, maybe you've been uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit and you speak in tongues, and maybe some of you haven't and whatever. But there is something here I, I tell this to people all the time, that the two things that change my prayer life are this, memorizing the word of God and speaking in tongues. That it, it's like, have you ever been praying and you just come to the end of English words or whatever, or Spanish words, right? And you're just like, I don't know what else to pray. And it's at that point when we pray in the spirit and I don't have to know what I'm saying, but it's like God just takes over. And he makes it happen. And it's right here at the end of this whole armor and the, and the sword and all of this where he says, pray in the Spirit with all kinds of prayers. Every type of prayer you can think of, he says. I like the animated quote from American Tale, 1986. Any of you watch that? He says, release the secret weapon. 
It's, the, it's this idea, David Guzik says this, the idea is all kinds of prayer, or prayer upon prayer. We should use every kind of prayer we can think of. Group prayer, individual prayer, silent prayer, shouting prayer, that's my kind of prayer. Walking prayer, kneeling prayer, eloquent prayer, groaning prayer, constant prayer, fervent prayer. Just pray. Just pray. And after all of this, I still come back to David and Ziklag. And he's sitting there. I, I imagine he's kneeling there. And he's strengthening himself in the Lord. And maybe, you know, maybe we put on the armor of God by reading Ephesians 6 and like actually saying, right now I agree with the helmet of salvation or the sword. And maybe, maybe out loud we say, I'm putting on the shield or I'm, or I'm you know, putting on the, the, the shoes or I'm you know, putting on the belt. Maybe you say it that way. And I, and I believe that there's truth in all of that. But I get this picture of David. He's kneeling before the Lord. He's strengthening. There's these guys that are contemplating stoning him. And as he's strengthening himself in the Lord and he's, he's maybe sharing things with God that would eventually be written down as psalms, and he's telling his soul to praise God in this moment. He's down there in prayer. I almost see like the armor just appearing on him. As he turns his gaze to the Lord. And you start to see this breastplate come on. And the belt of truth. And the shoes. And the shield. And the helmet. And the sword. And all of these things. And he's like the more that he strengthens himself. The more that he focuses in on on God and says, soul, you must praise him. It's like this, like the armor just comes. And he was ready to stand and fight. The verse goes on. We read about David and Ziklag and him strengthening himself in the Lord. Two verses later, verse 8. It says, so, so David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Now this is right after he strengthens himself. Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. This is, this is huge. He strengthens himself in the Lord. I imagine the armor of God just like just envelops him. And he says, should I overtake them? Should I pursue? Yes, you should. And you will surely overtake. I mean, I think that he's saying this to you. That as you strengthen yourself in the Lord, as you kneel down before God and you start to see the armor of God appearing, it's then and only then that God says, now you're ready, fight. Now you're ready. Can we stand before the Lord and uh, the worship team? Anna, would you come? Man, uh, my wife and I were just talking, I think probably this last week, and we were just realizing that people in our church and family and people that we know, or even just across the the states and the world, that there's just lots of pressure going on in people's lives right now. I imagine some of you that maybe even, I don't even know all of your story, but Pastor Bo even shared a few things and we had, that there's people right now experiencing pressure. And Could I just exhort us to, in this moment, respond to this and say, Lord, would you strengthen me right now? Lord, would you put on this armor on me and would you give me the ability to walk out these doors today and to face whatever I have to face? May we, like in Daniel 11, may we stand firm and fight. Maybe like in Matthew 24, when lawlessness seems to be increasing, could we be those that Jesus says would endure to the end? That instead of our love decreasing, that this would be a season where our love would increase. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, all over this room, from my right to my left, God, would you touch us in a special way? Lord, I declare supernatural breakthrough over situations right now, over family situations and work situations and financial situations. Lord, over places where there's demonic pressure, Lord, we come into agreement with divine deliverance over demonic oppression right now. Lord, that this would be a place of freedom where the chains can fall off and the walls can be broken down and that we press in and that our love would increase. 
in that heart and in that place, could we just worship the Lord with this last song and tell Him how much we love Him and allow His strength to just envelop us right now. I wanna live before your eyes. 